Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Neri Zilber, a journalist based in Tel Aviv and a policy advisor to Israel Policy Forum. The Israeli Knesset is coming back next week from a long holiday break, and things may get rocky for the Israeli governing coalition. Last month, it shockingly lost its parliamentary majority after a member of Prime Minister Naftali Bennett's own party defected to the opposition. Does this mean the government is about to fall? Are we looking at yet another round of elections here in Israel? Or can the government somehow endure now 10 months into their tenure? To help us answer these important questions, we have with us once again Tal Shalev, chief political correspondent for Walla News and longtime friend of this podcast and Israel Policy Forum. I dove deep with Tal about what we may be looking at in the weeks and months to come in Israeli politics, our consensus, no matter what happens, buckle up. Let's go. Hi, Tal. Welcome back to Israel Policy Pod. Hi, happy to be back. So, Tal, there's a lot for us to get into in this episode. Uh, I think it seemed that for much of the last few months, you and the other political reporters here in Israel were on holiday, almost. And we don't mean Passover or Ramadan or Easter. Uh, it really seemed that after the Bennett-Lapid government passed a state budget in November, that things were pretty stable in the political arena, uh, or boring, as Yair Lapid put it to me uh, before the last election. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't boring anymore. Uh, as most of our listeners probably know, in early April, there was a big political shock. Edith Silman, the coalition whip from Prime Minister Bennett's own party, decided to defect to the opposition. And that basically erased the government's slim one-seat majority in the Knesset. Uh, Silman claimed that the Bennett-Lapid government wasn't upholding Jewish values enough. So I wanted to start here. What do you think actually happened with Edith Silman that, I guess, moved her to break so suddenly with, uh, with her own party, with her own prime minister, with her own government? So first of all, if you're worried about political reporters getting too much time off, I can ease you that soon we're going to be, it seems like we're going to be back to hard work very soon here in Israel. Um, and it's being bad news I, for the rest of us. I would challenge, I think I would challenge um, the portrayal of the situation after the budget as boring. I think it was actually more boring up until the budget passed. And then essentially, after the government passed the budget, which was early November, essentially that's where things started to fall apart. Dafka, as we say in Hebrew, Dafka, because the government passed the budget, it made them feel, the coalition feel, I think, very much secure. And you already started to see, um, like, uh, parts of the coalition, if either, either it's like lone lawmakers or whole factions, kind of, uh, you know, elbowing each other and, and and like trying to see, to check the limits of the government. Like there was a sense that, okay, we passed the budget, we're relatively stable. So now we can start and gain some electoral uh, benefits and try to appeal to our voters. And you saw this across the coalition. Um, you saw this amongst the, um, especially amongst Ra'am, 
who already in December start boycotting votes in the uh, Knesset. And then you had um, Blue and White join them a few weeks later. And basically, for the past few weeks of the previous Knesset session, basically, the coalition was paralyzed because it didn't have a majority and it couldn't pass any bills. And basically, the coalition has been paralyzed for over three months. That being said, um, it's true that nobody really saw Edith Silman coming. Um, there was a sense that, yes, we have to get to the Knesset recess, which started in early March. We have to get there and then we'll have a vacation. The vacation will be good to everyone. But I don't think that anyone predicted that the fallout would start during the recess. And then comes Edith Silman and, and drops this bomb. Now, um, before we talk about Silman, I want to say something about this government and its relation with the, with, the, with the Knesset and the parliament, which I think is part of the problem here. Um, okay. As you know, or you might not, well, whatever, um, the, this government has a record number of what's called a Norwegian bill um, being used, meaning 21 out of 27 ministers in this government are not Knesset members. They used uh, a legal uh, clause that enables them to quit the Knesset in order to let another MK join the Knesset instead of them and focus on their work in the government. This right. means that you had a government that is basically totally disconnected from what's happening in the Knesset. The government had a very harmonious relationship, but in the Knesset, there were constant problems. And this disconnection, this disconnect between them, I think this is at the base of what happened to this coalition, that um, the government acted very independently. The ministers were trying to do as much as they can inside their own offices without bringing it to the Knesset. But at the end of the day, we are a parliamentary system and you can't just ignore the Knesset or wait for the uh, next, next Knesset recess to arrive. Um, Edith Seaman specifically, um, she, I would say she would probably not like, not like this portrayal, but in a way she's the first victim of a very, very strong and effective and vicious campaign that the right-wing opposition has been uh, leading since the government was established against almost everyone who's right-wing in this government, but more, more specifically against Naftali Bennett's uh, lawmakers, the members of Yemina. Um, was in a dream place, right? She was head of the coalition in the Knesset, a very strong position. Um, but she was under a lot, a lot of pressure from her base and from her um, and from people around her who have been uh, very, very vicious towards this government. And their criticism has been hard. It's been violent, uh, both uh, verbally and physically. It's it's the 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 Yamina members are basically under a very, very been suffering a very tough campaign in the past few months. And the campaign essentially eventually worked on uh, on Silman. Um and Bennett, let's let's not let's not mince words here. They were protesting outside Silman and other Yamina MK's houses. They allegedly uh, threatened or verbally assaulted her children at school. I mean, some really vicious stuff. Yes, yes, and I have to say that I'm not sure that Bennett. 
was attentive enough to what was happening with his MKs. Uh, when we go back to the beginning of March or basically all of March, Bennett was uh, kind of like in his own world, engaged in world diplomacy, trying to mediate between Russia and Ukraine. And he kind of neglected what was happening in his own backyard. And eventually it blew up in his face. Um, even when Edith Sinman started um, threatening the coalition, Bennett didn't take these threats seriously enough. And that eventually led to uh, uh, an opening um, for the Likud and for Betale Smotrich uh, from the right-wing party, Tsionuta uh, Datit. Uh, um, Religious Zionism. Yeah, the, so they they basically negotiated uh, some kind of deal with Edith Silman and with her husband, who is actually who is essentially the chief of staff and the most important person there in the family, and uh, succeeded to um, convince her that uh, she's better off on the other side. And we should just remind our listeners, Ram is the Arab-Israeli Islamist Party led by Mansour Abbas. Uh, they're a key part of the governing coalition, and Blue and White is the centrist party led by Defense Minister Benny Gantz. So just by way of explanation. So Edith Silman defects. Uh, Bennett claims she caved to all this pressure. Uh, like you said, there are other reports that she was offered some sweetheart deal by Smotrich and Bibi Netanyahu uh, uh, to run with them or aligned with them in next election. But regardless, she's no longer part of the coalition. And that essentially erased uh, their one one seat majority in the Knesset. So now, in theory, right, it's 60-60, 60 seats versus 60 seats in the 120-seat Knesset. Although the opposition led by Bibi Netanyahu can only really bank on 54 votes, right? In the opposition, uh, the Arab-Israeli joint list has six seats, uh, we'll get to them in a second. But Tal, I wanted to kind of deep dive and explain this to, to everybody because I get asked this question all the time. I'm sure you do as well. What happens now? Hmm. Right? It, will the government survive? And I always try to explain to people, I guess both here and, and on the outside, that there are two ways to topple a government in Israel. One is called a constructive no-confidence vote, which basically means that you need 61 votes uh, and then also an alternative government and an alternative PM to be agreed to by those 61 votes, which is, I think, a, a tall order. Or option number two, and maybe the more likely one, that you get 61 votes to just dissolve the Knesset, and that triggers new elections, which would be Israel's, I guess, fifth in three years. Um, I guess the third option, which, which we can get into as well, you know, the Bennett-Lapid government just kind of stumbling along as this minority zombie government and surviving. We'll also get to that in a second. So I wanted to dive into these various options. Option number one, in your opinion, is there an alternative government to be formed in the current Knesset? So I think we actually need to start from option number three, okay? Cause, oh, okay. Um, yeah, because I think that um, um, if you ask members of the coalition today, they a wouldn't say the situation is 60-60. They would say the situation is 60-59. Why? Because Edith Silman has not yet to vote against the coalition in any scenario. The Knesset was on recess, so basically Silman 
you know, declared her independence, but she didn't really do anything to demonstrate it. She didn't have a chance or an opportunity to vote against the coalition. And people in the government, Bennett and Lapid, are hoping that perhaps they will be able to reach some kind of understandings with Edith Zinman on important votes, and in that case, to survive. Um, Zinman... Do you think that's... Do you think that's credible? I mean, we saw her marching to a West Bank outpost arm in arm with Smotrich and other far right members of the opposition just a few weeks ago. Yeah, but there's a threat over her head. Um, the threat is that uh, um, Bennett decides to uh, announce her um, as uh, an official defector or renegade from the Yamina party. Okay, so. So the so there's a threat over Silman's head that Bennett uh, will uh, announce her or move to declare her a defect an official defector from the party of Yamina. This is a process a process in the Knesset that was just just last week. Um, he initiated this process against Amichai Shikli, who was the first member of his party who uh, who you know revolted and. Uh, uh, voted against the government when it was established uh, last year. Um, and this process means that Silman could be basically left alone with no real political options because the meaning of this, the, the, the most important meaning of declaring someone as officially as a defector is that he cannot join like, any existing party and run with them in the next election. So if Tillman right. has any promise from either the Likud or from Bezalel Smotrich, this process could uh, take that uh, prom promise away and leave it as worthless. Um, and she'll have the only option she'll have is to run in a new platform or a new party in the next election. So this is kind of the threat over her head, which the coalition hopes might be able to move her or lure her into some understandings. Now, that's option, right? That's um, alternative A. The other two alternatives, which is uh, um, a constructive vote of no confidence or um, a vote to dissolve the Knesset, um, both of them depend on the numbers, and both of them are complicated with the numbers. So as you said correctly, um, the easier path the easier path is to dissolving the Knesset to elections. Um, because in that case, you only need 61 votes to vote for the move, but you don't need 61 votes to vote for um, a new government. A new prime minister, a new government. A new prime government, minister government, and a new government. And that's where the, coal, the opposition starts to be divided, right? Because we can't imagine... Uh, the joint list supporting a government in which uh, an, a constructive uh, move of no confidence, which puts it, which puts uh, Netanyahu as the new prime minister of the new government, um, and basically, um, the joint list have said they will support uh, dissolving the Knesset. So that puts the opposition in this point with 60 seats, and all they need is one more defector. Um, and they've been working on many defector, defectors in the coalition in the past few weeks, even though there hasn't been any Knesset talks and manipulations have been going on full power. 
And, um, you know, there are a few suspects, mainly in Yamina and in the New Hope, Tikva Chadasha, Gidon Sao's other right-wing party. Um, and the Likud is trying to lure um, one more defector from this party and to have 61 to vote uh, no, to vote for dissolving the Knesset. Um, another option could be could come from Ra'am. Um, Ra'am, Mansour Abbas's party, um, ha, is also currently in the midst of a crisis with the coalition. Um, last month, uh, uh, during when when the security situation started to heaten up and the uh, tensions on uh, Temple Mount started to arise, um, the Ra'am announced that they are basically freezing their membership in the coalition and freezing their uh, activities in the Knesset um, until uh, further notice. Ram as a party will probably come back to cooperate with the coalition in some kind of effect, but inside Ram, Mansour Abbas has internal opposition and he has at least two lawmakers who might want to, um, you know, who might decide to uh, vote against um, the, go the government and to vote to dissolve the Knesset. So that's option number two. And then option number three, the... the, 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 the we're, we're, mixing up, we're mixing up our options, but it's clear. Yeah, the, okay. The so are... so the, <laughs> the third option, uh, which is the vote, a constructive vote of no confidence, which actually, you know, entails forming a government actually building a coalition. And that's, um, I think, the more far-fetched option out of the three, just because um, when you look at the numbers, it's almost impossible for Netanyahu um, to, to have 61 in the Knesset, a majority of 61. A, the joint list will not support, so that brings the coalition down to 54. That means they need seven more seats. Um, that means they need a whole party or two parts of two parties inside the coalition that will join them. And beside, and, and we shouldn't forget that this is a coalition that um, basically and essentially is against Netanyahu. So it'll be very difficult for Netanyahu to uh, uh, form a new partnership with any one of the members in the coalition. The Haredi, the ultra-Orthodox parties, are dreaming about bringing back Benny Gantz to a coalition with Netanyahu. I find that very unlikely. Benny Gantz will probably prefer elections than to go to a coalition with Netanyahu. And then the question is, maybe Netanyahu himself wants new elections and prefers that on a government in this Knesset. Um, but I got to say, I, I'm not sure that um, at the end of the day we might see everything just collapsing at the same time, right? There might be one defector that will lead the opposition to have their 61 in order to form, uh, to, in order to vote uh, to dissolve the Knesset. But then the minute they have 61, maybe political calculations will change Nagid, with Gidon Saar. Um, people, when they're afraid of elections, politicians tend to, uh, you know, act and change their behavior change their promises, change their principles. So there might be a situation in, when kind of, in which kind of everything collapsed together. There is no majority to each side, and it kind of uh, just waits for the next person to come out 
Um, there are a lot of unknowns. The Likud has been spreading a lot of misinformation in the past few days, kind of you know, building up expectations for something dramatic that, that will happen next week as the uh, Knesset uh, comes back from its recess. Um, so I'm not sure it'll happen if just as the Knesset come back, but I do think that at some point, since everything is so tense and everything here is based on, you know, lone soldiers in a way, I think there's a very high, um, there's a high chance that everything will just collapse together and like all, all hell will break out. Uh Good for your work, not good for the country, I would argue. I wanted to just dwell for a second on this issue of Netanyahu and an alternative government. Um, he himself has said, we should, we should form a right-wing government led by me tomorrow. You know, he said this a few weeks ago publicly. Um, but even in my conversations uh, last week with uh, one senior Likud former minister in particular, they even admitted, he even admitted, that Netanyahu doesn't have uh, an alternative government in this Knesset, uh, and that really their best hope and their only play is to force uh, new elections. Do you think that's also what Netanyahu is aiming for? Basically, one one more roll of the dice. So, a I think that Netanyahu, as Netanyahu always works at the same time in a few parallel scenarios, and he's always fostering and planning a few parallel, you know, ways forward. Um, I think that under Netanyahu probably understands as well that it'll be very difficult for him to form a government in this Knesset. And if he will be able to do so, it won't be a government that he will be able to, you know, cancel his trial with or try and uh, um, legislate bills that would uh, um, reverse the trial or deal with the judicial system because all of the partners will probably, you know, demand or condition their joining him with control over the justice ministry. So, for instance, Gidon Sal, um, who is, uh, you know, mentioned as one of the potential parties that could potentially, hypothetically, rejoin Netanyahu, he will always demand to stay in the justice ministry and in that way limit Netanyahu. And I think that Netanyahu himself also prefers to go to another election. There's a belief in the Likud that uh, coming from the opposition um, and after this year of being um, in the opposition, that their electoral base will come out much more angry and much more motivated to vote and that they will be able this time, yes, to, rate, to reach the 61. Also, we should say there are many, many small right-wing parties right now in the political scene um and uh um I, netanyahu and the likud and other likud uh, lawmakers believe that they'll be able to um bring back those votes from all of the small parties like gidon Saar and bennett and uh actually reach 61 this time yeah that's also a good point to stress that uh Naftali Bennett's own Yamina party and Gidon Saar's New Hope party aren't doing too well in the polls uh despite being prime minister and justice minister and and having power uh it hasn't translated into at least uh political support uh, as manifested in the polls uh, which is concerning well, cuz in Bennett's case it has for a while but most of his support does not come from his new support does not come from you know his traditional electoral base in the right, but actually 
from the center, even leaning left. Um, there is some wave of support for Bennett among centrist voters in Israel who think that he's doing an okay job at least and are grateful for him, are grateful to him for, you know, forming a government and replacing Netanyahu. Um, but Gidon Sal, for instance, he really, um, he hardly passed the last election. They only have six seats. And since the election, he hardly um, reached those six seats that he got in the last election. So he's really right. in a bad situation, which makes, by the way, that's why there are a lot of speculations regarding Gidon Sal, who basically is very anti-Netanyahu, but the assumption is that since his situation is so bad in the polls, perhaps if he sees that elections are on their way, he will reverse his anti-Netanyahu stand and be able to come home and, you know, create a new alliance with Alikud. That would be a dramatic development, given the anti-BB stance that he and basically his entire party took, right? These are former Likudniks who left the Likud precisely because they couldn't stand uh, Netanyahu anymore. Um, yeah, so, that so, would be a dram- so if you ask Gidon Sal, he'll of course deny very forcefully and he'll say that he's part of the government, but at the end, and uh, that he's totally committed to the government, but at the end of the day, you know, he's a politician and he needs to survive. And if this government does reach its end, then Gidon Sal will be in a big problem. He'll, if, if there's a new election, he will have to find someone else to run with. Um, either uh, Benny Gantz or Naftali Bennett, if he'll run, or um, even a Victor Lieberman. But in this situation, Guido Sal cannot afford to run by himself. He probably won't pass the threshold. Right. Why did you just say if Benny if Bennett runs again? Um, because I'm not sure that Bennett is going to run again. Um, I don't. I, I'm I'm not sure that you know Bennett is a very young politician. Um, he still has his whole life in front of him, and I'm not sure that after this experience that he had, um, a being you know at the most important place in the country, I'm not sure how easy it is afterwards you know to move to a second stand into a much less important place. And um, I don't know how he's going, you know, at the end of the day, how he's going to survive this whole political turmoil and if he'll have any will to continue running. I do believe, by the way, that if that Bennett is young enough to leave for a few years and make a new career for himself, um, building on the fact that he's a former prime minister of Israel and come back in a few years time. I mean, the man is only 50 um, so he has at least uh, in Israeli uh, um, codes, he has at least at least 20 more years in politics. So I'm, I, I think that he might take a time out. Very interesting. Before he does that, though, he is still prime minister. And I wanted to get your sense of his control or maybe lack thereof over his own party. So the Amina party last year's election they won seven seats uh then one mk amichai shikli defected even before the government was formed so bennett was down to six now edith silman defected he's down to five what do you think is the state of play inside yamina at the moment so naftali bennett has totally lost control of his party um 
his party is now controlled by Ayelet Shaked in another reverse of, you know, um, of power in the relationship between these two uh, politicians. You know, Bennett um, was traditionally the leader. And then in the second election, Shaked was the leader of the party. Then it went back to Bennett. And now Bennett is the leader of the party. Of course, he's the prime minister. But Ayelet Shaked is actually uh, the strongest person in his party because Ayelet Shaked basically stopped, uh, is the one who stopped another defector from joining Silman. Ayelet Shaked is a whole different story because Ayelet Shaked herself has been flirting with the Likud in the past few months. She was planning herself to join, to leave the government and join the Likud. She was just planning to do it much later, much closer to the rotation date. And when Bennett stops being prime minister and Lapid is supposed to start being prime minister. And then came Silman and kind of, you know, stole her cards and stole her glory. Um, and Ayelet Shaked, um, when Silman left, Ayelet Shaked was the one who convinced other Bennett lawmakers not to join Silman and to stay with her in like a united block and try to stir the government a bit more to the right. Um, essentially, the Yamina's complaining. Um, the what what is the, what has what is remained from Yamina? They're complaining that the government is not right wing enough. They have a list of complaints that have to do with settlement construction and with outpost evacuation. And uh, um, Shaked is leading the front of these demands uh, with Bennett and with other senior uh, ministers in the government. And she's the one who's keeping the party from falling apart. Um, and uh, um, Bennett basically has only one real loyal confidant in the party. That's Matan Kahana. He's the Minister of Religious Affairs. Um, but all of the party is, all the rest of the party is more on uh, Shaked's side. And there's also rumors of an understanding between Bennett and Shaked that uh, she will be the one that will control the party also in the next elections. Um, and that uh, um, he understands or that this is part of the understandings between them, um, that she is the one who's going to uh, um, make the big decisions in the party if there is, if and when there's a new election. But Shaked is probably still negotiating with the Likud, yes? If and when there is a party in the future. Exactly. Um, Shaked is still negotiating with the Likud, but this time she's not negotiating by herself, but she's negotiating with the other um, um, the other two lawmakers who are like in her block in the party, um, Abir Kara and Nir Orbach. Um, but at the moment, the Likud, or at least some people in the Likud, do not want her to come. So Shaked is kind of playing both ways playing a double game at the moment on the one hand she's keeping uh, bennett's party and in that respect keeping the government and the coalition alive but at the same time she's negotiating her own exit with the likud given that bennett and shaked really go way back even before they officially entered politics they were running mates now for 
think over a decade. So there's a close, I guess, professional relationship, a close personal relationship. Do you think Shaked would really, would really do that to Bennett, essentially bringing down his government? So um, that's one of like the million dollar questions in the political system today. Um, I personally don't think she'll be able to do it. I think that Bennett and Shaked have a very unique relationship. Um, it's actually gone bad in the past few months. In the background of all of this is a sense, um, is a true, you know, I would say pivot. Bennett made in recent months in his uh, rhetoric and his policy. You know, Bennett was always very, very right wing and provocative. And now he's prime minister. And, you know, there's a saying in Hebrew, things you see from there, you don't see from here. So suddenly he has to be, you know, the much more responsible adult. And he tried to go to, the, to, to centralize his opinions, also in a search for a new base. Uh, he understood that the right wing, uh, um, his right wing voters are not going to forgive him. So he's been trying to capitalize on more centrist voters, let's say Yeshatid voters or Benny Gantz voters. And he changed his rhetoric and he changed and he and, you know, he was much more centrist than Shaked and Bennett than, you know, than the original Bennett and Shaked was in such a close relationship with. And in 100%. the process of him moving and him centralizing, they also drifted apart, Bennett and uh, Shaked. And actually, Silman and her defection kind of brought Shaked back to power and also made her much more important to Bennett again. And he suddenly understood that he has to, you know, um, he has to uh, um, foster this relationship because he, he depends on her for his survival. So... That's a good transition. You mentioned these ultimatums that were put forward by uh, the remaining members of Yamina, I guess implicitly also by Shaked. They want the government to, I guess, be more right-wing than it has been over the past 10 months since they took power. Uh, they issued a bunch of ultimatums last month after Silman defected. Um, this goes to, I guess, option number three, which is the Bennett-Lapid government essentially stumbling along even without a clear majority in Knesset and, and still governing. Um, but we had the Yamina ultimatums. We also had, as you mentioned, Ram issuing its own ultimatums of the government. Uh, by the way, not only in terms of just the recent clashes and tensions at Al-Aqsa and Jerusalem, but also with regard to all these promises and, and laws, budgetary and planning and otherwise, that were passed uh, for them and for the Arab-Israeli community, which I think it's been rumored that Shaked and other right-wing ministers are kind of stalling. So Ram also issued their own ultimatums. Uh, we still have these ongoing kind of tensions over the Temple Mount and Al-Aqsa and just the overall security situation. So looking forward, right, if there's no clear, I guess, path to an alternative government and dissolving the Knesset, the votes aren't there just yet, what do you think really could could tip the scales over into really toppling the government? What do you think the real landmines are moving forward that we should pay attention to? So for sure, the most uh, dangerous landmines for the government are anything that have to do with a, either security or the settlements. Um, the Ramadan is now over and um, we approach another few, you know, uh, tense dates 
Um, it's going to be a year to the May riots, um, which has marked now last year's riots. Um, and, and the Gaza war. And the Gaza war. So any, you know, any security incident um, immediately uh, raises, you know, raises the... Uh, raises the tensions in the inside the government um it doesn't matter if it's small or big it's true that the coalition survived this last month with these horrendous terror attacks um but we should remember that there was a knesset recess so there was no place for any defection to actually you know come into play um from both sides both from ram and from yamina i mean the government was basically saved by the timing the fact that silman and ram both created their crises in the mid in the middle of the recess kind of gave bennett and lapid you know some space and some time um but all of this uh can can blow up any minute with any security incident and also we have um two illegal outposts Uh, which are, you know, flashing points. The first one is Chomesh, uh, which is supposed to be evacuated. And the other one is uh, Evyatar, which uh, the uh, settlers are demanding to establish a yeshiva there. So um, these are, all of them are big problems uh, for the government. I expect that a few, in a few days time, um, Benny Gantz will convene, you know, the committee that approves uh, um, settlement construction. This is following um, one of the ultimatums issued by Amina. Um, and he will probably approve, um, I would say, a very generous package of uh, settlement construction. But he will also approve construction for Palestinians, which could also create tensions In amongst the right-wing parts of this coalition and inside Yamina. The other thing, two things that uh, I think uh, are worth noticing is, A, of course, economy and the economic situation. Um, the government promised to compensate uh, um, business owners for the Omicron wave, and that uh, compensation has not arrived yet. There is also a very strong lobby inside the government Um, pushing to raise the minimum wage and uh, who opposes uh, the um, finance minister's plan to change the minimum wage. So economic questions can definitely create uh, more problems. And the third thing, the third landmine, I think, um, is also connected to an ultimatum which was issued by Elia Vidar, who is another, you know, headache in this coalition. <laughs> was a member of Avigdor Lieberman's party, um, and uh, he left it last year following a disagreement over his portfolio in the government. Then a few months later, he joined the government and was appointed a minister, but without a portfolio. Then after a few months, he left the government. And now, Elia Vidar wants to pass a bill that will bar anyone who's been indicted Uh, from uh, being appointed by prime minister, what is known as uh, one of, I guess, the most, the flagship anti-Netanyahu bill. And of course, this bill does not have support inside the coalition. And guess who is the strongest opposition to this bill in the coalition? Ayelet Shaked. Ayelet Shaked. So Elia Vidar is like 
while Ayelet Shaked is pushing on one hand to get her demands and the Yamina demands, then comes Elia Vidal with his demands, um, which will create a clash with Ayelet Shaked. And also, by the way, some of Ram's demands have to do with Ayelet Shaked, and they will also create a clash with Ayelet Shaked. That's why, even though the, uh, the you know the senior politicians in this coalition are very optimistic that they can pass this Knesset session, that it's a short, short Knesset session, it's only ten weeks, and they think they can get it over with. I'm not sure. I think that every uh, the problem with the coalition right now is that all of the demands um, necessarily will create more demands by the other side, um, and um, if you answer Yamina's demands, you will have more demands from Ram. And if you answer Ram's demands, you will have more demands from Yamina. And I think this is a loop in which the coalition will find it very, very difficult to survive in. So I was going to ask you on that, on that exact point. So if Yamina, they're issuing all the ultimatums, trying to pull the government rightward, settlement construction and whatnot, how do you expect the left-wing or centrist parts of the government to to respond? Because they also have an electorate. They also might be looking down the barrel of new elections uh, later this year. Do you expect them to actually take a stand and say, hold on a minute, this isn't just Ayala Chakhead's government? Well, I do expect them to take, to take a stand, merits and perhaps labor, and uh, try and uh, protest and stall some of Ayala Chakhead and friends' demands, but I got to say, um, from their point of view, it will probably be a very risky and perhaps even stupid thing to do uh, because both of these left-wing parties, um, you know, have a very unique chance in and stand in this government. And probably if this government does not survive, the chances of them being part of the next government are very, very low. Um, the, um, you know, there is a left wing, a right wing majority in the Knesset. It's not a small majority. It's a very, very large majority. And, um, I think that both, uh, labor and even more merits will find it very, very difficult. They'll be under, they'll be on the one hand, they'll be under pressure, you know, to get to, 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 to stand up to them. To stand up to them, but on the other hand, the meaning of standing up to them is uh, um, is hurting the coalition and destabilizing it even more. And I don't know what their voters will forgive less, right? What will they be more angry for, having Netanyahu back or having some settlement construction approved? Very, very difficult spot to be in, but... I don't know. My own personal opinion is that at a certain point they will have to make a stand because they'll they'll also have a lot of pressure from their own base, basically asking them, "Okay, you're in government, you have power. Why why are you essentially enabling a right wing government?" Um, but like you said, it's a tough it's a tough spot to be in. Uh, which leads us to the next question: If Israeli politics weren't complicated enough, uh, if the scenario, the most likely scenario, I guess, that we've been laying out here is uh, a dissolution of the Knesset and the triggering of early elections. It really, really matters who actually votes to dissolve the Knesset, right? Who actually votes in favor of dissolving Knesset and going to elections? Um, we have to remind our listeners, Bennett and Lapid uh, signed this uh, power-sharing deal last year to form this government. 
Bennett was allowed to go first as prime minister for half the term with the Ayer Lapid set to rotate in, uh, hopefully, maybe, in August of 2023, so next summer. But if the government is toppled, then Lapid, in theory, rotates in as prime minister, as a temporary transition prime minister till any election, and then, uh, given that it's Israel, likely after any election, uh, with the one caveat, and you know the caveat, Tala, right? If two, I guess, members of Bennett's right-wing bloc in the coalition vote to dissolve the Knesset, right? So that's the sanction. The right-wingers in the government have to actually vote in favor of dissolving Knesset, and that would actually trigger Lapid rotating in. If, for example, hypothetically, <laughs> out of thin air, Benny Gantz and Blue and White voted to dissolve the Knesset, uh, Blue and White are considered part of Lapid's bloc in the coalition, and that wouldn't sanction Bennett. Bennett would remain prime minister. Did I get that all right? Yeah, totally right. Except I think that not Blue and White is the main danger for Lapid's short tenure as prime minister, but uh, more more so Ra'am. Um, um, I mentioned earlier two lawmakers in Ram, Walid Saha, and specifically Mazen Ganaim, um, who are who are in opposition to Mansour Abbas, and who are at least uh, Mazen Ganaim is in a very close connection with both the Likud and the ultra orthodox parties, and I think that's the big danger um, for Lapid. And what's it's interesting. Um, is that also, this is a question that also divides the opposition from within. Because the Likud prefer Lapid as prime minister if we go to elections. It'll be much easier for them to rally support against Lapid. He's a very, he creates a lot, he generates a lot of hatred amongst Likudniks. He's like, you know, this kind of voodoo doll for Likudniks. Um, and uh, um, they also think he'll make a lot of mistakes and have a lot of a lot of missteps as a young prime minister, and that they'll be able to campaign against him, and that he will be for them a good electoral, you know, gimmick. On the other hand, Ariadne, Deri, um, the leader of Shas, um, does not want Lapid to be the prime minister during elections. He's concerned that Lapid will be prime minister during elections, but what happens if nobody succeeds to form a government after the next elections? That means Lapid will stay prime minister until there's a new government. And uh, Lapid, Lapid being strong means Avigdor Lieberman being strong, and uh, Arya Derry really doesn't want that to happen. So he's been putting special, very special attention on fostering the relationship with uh, Mazen Ganaim from Ram, because he's hoping that the government will fall by Ram votes, and in that way to prevent Lapid from becoming prime minister. Right, Ram is considered part of uh, Lapid's bloc in the yeah. coalition, so that would uh, that would enable Bennett to remain prime minister. Also, you know, there are so many layers to this; it's it's like an endless kind of. Uh, speculation upon speculation upon speculation, but you know, if you're from Gidon Sar's party and you're perhaps looking down the barrel at elections again, would you want to compete in any future election against the Prime Minister Bennett from the right wing, or would you rather it be Yair Lapid? You know, so if you're already going, if you're already going to elections, who would you rather 
uh, I guess, run against or not run yep. against. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So, so many layers and, you know, what we're laying out here, Tal, I guess, is exactly what's going through the mind of every Israeli politician right now. Yes, and also we should say that, there, you know, that there's the, the dynamic of unstableness in the political system, meaning that even if the coalition thinks it's stable, the fact that people inside the coalition know that it might be unstable by itself could motivate them to moves that we do not predict at the moment, right? If people think that elections are coming and that the coalition is going to fall anyway, then they might change their calculations um, and they might act differently. At the moment, it seems that everyone in the coalition, at least, you know, the party leaders, they're all obliged and they're all committed and they all want it to continue. But when they understand that elections are actually coming, perhaps some of their strategies and their tactics will change. Yeah, uh, complete chaos theory, uh, potentially, that uh, a butterfly flaps its wings on the Temple Mound or someone throws a rock in the West Bank and uh, Israeli politicians react and there's a reaction to that reaction and so on and so forth. Uh, Tal, final question. It's a tough one, but... What do you think will happen? Do you think uh, we're looking at elections or at least the triggering of elections in the next couple of weeks? Does, do you think this government can survive the summer session and make it into the fall? Uh, outward looking, do you think it can get to early next year when they have to pass another budget, which will be like a real, real difficult hurdle? What is your expectation? It sounds like you're on the same page as me. You're you're pretty skeptical. You're pretty cynical about the staying power of the Bennett-Lapid government. Um, I'm totally skeptical, but I'm going to be very, very cautious and mm. say um, that, you know, A, it can survive between weeks and months. Um, I mean, even the most optimistic people in the coalition don't think it'll survive more than next March, right? So, this is, yeah, another year. So, it's between a few weeks and another year. I think... Um, I'm skeptical, and I think that uh, it'll happen much faster uh, than we believe. Um, I mean, I'm on the pessimistic side, uh, but you know, Israeli politics are always there are always surprises in it, and I'm not sure that inside this situation. I, I mean, I'm sure that inside there is this situation, there are a lot of surprises uh, yet to come. Um, so I think that uh, there could still be surprises. There's another thing we didn't, you know, talk about regarding Netanyahu is that, there, you know, we always talk about Netanyahu as if he's a politician, but he also has other calculations, right? Because he's, under, he's also uh, under trial. Um, so if this government does survive a few more months, I don't know what this time does to Netanyahu's legal calculations and legal decisions. Um, we do just, you know, he did have a very um, progress, uh, negoti progress negotiations with the attorney general, with the former attorney general, Avichai Mendelblit, just a few months ago. Those negotiations are supposedly frozen. Um, I think that at the moment they're definitely frozen because Netanyahu thinks that he might be able to get go to election and give up. Um, and you know, give up the idea of uh, reaching a plea deal. But if he doesn't seem 
see that it happens immediately. And if the government does survive a few more weeks that turn into a few more months, this is time that could influence and could change some of his legal decisions. And that could be, you know, another place where surprises can emerge. Yeah, it's an important point to raise. Uh, I don't, I don't know, given the events of the past few weeks, I don't know why Netanyahu wouldn't just roll the dice with another election to see if he can get a majority and become prime minister again. And then maybe through that quash the trial, uh, this trial will go on forever. It seems like it's already two years. It's already two years in. They haven't even finished one out of the three cases arrayed against Netanyahu. He, he has time. It goes on and on. And I don't know. I don't know why he would take a plea deal even even this summer. But again, I'm not Bibi Netanyahu. I can tell you that as long as this trial goes on, so will the Israeli political mess for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, really, uh, that's the reason why there were four straight elections in basically two years. Uh, Tal, final, final question on that note. When you're faced with the idea of covering in another Israeli election, are you excited? Are you depressed? What, What kind of emotion goes through your head when you have to really think about covering yet another round? Well... Hey, I have to be honest, okay? I'm a political reporter. We live for elections. Even though it's the fifth one in three years, I'm still, you know, excited about the fact that there might be elections. This as a journalist, and of course, as an Israeli citizen, I think that uh, the Israeli political system is in a very, very deep crisis and is very sick. Um, And something here in the system is, you know deeply flawed um and um i also got to say when you listen to israelis and you listen to the discourse and i think that uh it's also um it's moved into israeli society this divide the divide between yes and not netanyahu the two israels the first israel the second israel ashkenazi sephardi um the fact that Israel has had so many election campaigns and has been fighting politically so loudly for so long is influencing and you know infiltrating Israeli society to its deepest point. And I think that's um that's the saddest part about it. So in that respect, I find it very hard to be excited about something that I think is essentially ill. Um, and I hope, uh i don't know i gotta say i'm not very optimistic because i don't know how this divide will be closed um but i hope since it's independence day you know that maybe next year israel will be independent from the political chaos perhaps well it seemed like we were at least for a few months uh tal thank you so much as always for your time and yeah i might see you on the campaign trail uh sooner rather than later Thank you. Let's hope it's later and not sooner. Yeah, from your from your mouth to God's ears. Bye. <laughs> okay, that was Tal Shalev. Many thanks to her, as always, for her generous time and insights. Also, thanks to our producer, Jacob Gilman, and to all of you who support Israel Policy Forum's work, including this podcast. You know who you are. Just remember to subscribe. And as always, thank you for listening. And most importantly, happy 74th birthday. Israel.